Welcome back to Streamageddon, the uh, TV and streaming podcast that has been around for almost an entire year, Diane. Did you realize that? I did. I'm very excited for our first birthday. Me I too. Hope we, I hope we get cake. You know, uh, a baby cake. You know, you get a separate cake right. for the baby that the baby can smash. It's a smash cake. I've been to enough first birthday parties now. I know the drill. We will get our smash cake on Zoom, smash it on the lens of the, the computer screen camera, uh, and then that will be the end of the episode because I will have to clean up immediately. Immediately. That's true. That's true. I should say, though, I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I'm joined by Diane Nora, as always. And uh, this is a special episode because we are nearing not just our first birthday, but the end of 2022, the end of the year of streaming. And so we thought this week we would take a look back on the year and we would do it in, I think, the most appropriate way possible. All, all credit to Diane on this one. We're going to do some superlatives, a regular yearbook edition. A, uh, excuse me, a streaming superlative spectacular. There we go. Thank you, thank you. That was my soundboard right there. I I know it sounds like Diane, but that's just how good my soundboard is. Uh, So we have a bunch of categories lined up. We are going to uh, avoid spoilers. So if you're worried that we're going to spoil every TV show that came out in 2022, relax. This month is stressful enough as is. We are here to just take a look back on some of the most uh, exciting, entertaining, and perhaps disappointing shows of the year. Uh, But first, you know, we always like to talk about the news. And in honor of the uh, streaming superlative spectacular, we thought we would look at the the news story that we feel like best encompasses 2022. And there are so many news stories to pick from. I mean, Diane, this was the year that Warner Brothers and Discovery became the place that dreams are made of. The Wabro Disco. We all began to live in the era of Zazz. It's true. It's true. Chris Licht took over CNN. CNN Plus both began and ended in less time than it takes to do a Quibi. Not just the length of Quibi's existence, but the the length of a Quibi episode. Didn't even make it eight minutes, Diane. Oh, CNN Plus. So sad. And yet, that isn't the top news story of the year. Not even the shenanigans at our favorite friends at Netflix. Perhaps the great password sharing crackdown will be the top story of 2023, but no, that's not it. And you know, uh, as much as we do Peacock Peacock, no, nothing about Peacock is ever really that interesting. So that's not our top story of 2022. In fact, I think uh, listeners may be surprised to hear the network or streaming service that we have collectively decided is the most 2022 story of 2022. Diane, if I said to you, name the number five television network on network TV, the number five linear television network that you could get with an antenna, what network am I talking about? Why that would be the CW. The CW, which stands for CBS Warner Brothers. Really, because the CW is the network that was formed in a collaboration between CBS and Warner out of the wreckage of the WB and UPN networks. And this year, uh, 
CBS, now Paramount, and Warner, now Warner Brothers Discovery, decided, you know what, this doesn't make any sense for us anymore, and and not just does this not make any sense, not just are we looking to offload this asset, are we looking for a buyer, Uh, no, no, we want to get rid of this so fast, we are having a fire sale, or as they would say in Arrested Development, a fire sale. Hmm. Uh, Diane, what would you pay for the CW? I mean, I would give it, you know, we discussed previously how much we thought was too much to pay for a streaming service per month. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. I said $20. So looking at the whole year, I would pay $240 to own the CW. Yeah, and to be clear, not to subscribe to the CW, to literally no. own the fifth largest television network on, again, regular basic television. Uh, yeah, that, that you know, uh, two over 200 sounds like a lot to me personally, but I, I, I could get there. I could get there if it got me the entire network. Um, and, you know, maybe you should have called them up and offered to pay that much because instead they gave it away. Just gave it away. That really breaks my heart. Isn't that tragic? It is. And, you know, they didn't just give it to anybody. They gave it to Nexstar, which was the largest owner of CW affiliates. And so part of the argument, and uh, we have a link to a a Hollywood Reporter story about this, uh, Nexstar kind of had to convince their investors that this isn't some kind of terrible idea. They had to justify why it makes sense to take something that's being given away. They're saying, yes, we know it looks shady that they are so desperate to get rid of this troubled asset that they will literally give it to us for free. But they did it for a reason, at least. And that reason is because we own a bunch of their affiliates. So we have some interest in making this work. I thought that was interesting, too, that they specifically said the reason there weren't more competitors is because they knew we'd really, really want it. Right. It feels almost like the Bob Iger scenario. There's no one else who would be good at owning the CW, so it might as well be Next Star. And this has come up in and out through some episodes that we've done this year because the CW has been canceling a lot of shows. And this gets me to why I really feel like this is the story of the year. Because the question you should ask is why did Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount, why did they want out of this deal so bad? And again, The Hollywood Reporter has a great line that sums this up. The CW, as a network, spent $2 for every dollar it made. Yikes. Not, you know, listen, I did not go to business school. I do not have an MBA. I have a different MA that's not nearly as useful. But I do know that you are supposed to not spend $2 for every $1 you make. No, with those margins, you know, you you could go into theater. And, and oh boy, and if going into theater makes more sense, something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. Or you're making your money another way. Because here was the business strategy behind the CW. It was never supposed to make money as a network. The way that Paramount, or previously CBS and Warner previously part of AT&T, if you remember, uh, the way they made money off of the CW is they produced the shows, they created and owned the IP for the shows that aired on the CW, and then they turned around and they sold the streaming rights to Netflix. Almost all of them to Netflix. And then internationally, they sold the rights to other international networks and distributors, so they made up their losses on the back end. 
But then they stopped doing that. Which makes it the most streaming story of 2022. Because what has changed in 2022? Everybody has a new owner or has merged with another entertainment group because everybody is trying to make their own streaming service and stack it with their own titles. Suddenly, the idea of licensing all your shows to Netflix to make a buck doesn't sound good to anyone. No, I was surprised to see them say that one of the big uh, titles that did really well for them internationally, uh, according to this Hollywood Reporter article, was Dynasty? Dynasty. Dynasty. And now they want Dynasty for, I, I guess, Paramount+. Plus. I, You know, a lot of these shows are just going to end. And the CW is contractually committed to one more season of some of these shows. But at the end of the day, uh, it's not like they're expecting a lot of people to jump ship to follow Dynasty to its new streaming home. It's more that new shows they develop, they want to own themselves. And there's no longer a business case for putting them on the CW first. Because also, if you think about what logic is there in 2022, soon to be 2023, of saying, well, yeah, but before... Before it goes to streaming, it needs to air on a television network. There is no none. No. That was the, the essentially the case for the CW was, well, it has to air on some TV network before it goes to streaming. And literally, no one thinks that anymore. No. We discussed earlier that the uh, average viewer of the CW was 54 years old, I think it was. And the CW content is mostly geared toward teenagers another reason that like what was the strategy here it no longer makes sense for your viewers that's right and the, and the new owners at next star are going to pivot to the people who were actually watching the cw because uh, teenagers and uh gen x as gen zers gen zers and millennials they were watching the shows on the cw but they weren't watching the cw they were watching those shows on streaming and so you know again if you're going to continue to make shows like that you're just going to put them straight to streaming and you're try going to try to hold on to those audiences for dear life so they keep paying you directly monthly for that streaming service the actual people watching the cw they will probably love reruns of criminal minds or whatever they decide to program on the CW because the, the bottom line is they're going to reduce their costs enormously in order to make the CW profitable. The hard part about that, the reality is that's going to end up meaning a lot of lost jobs. Uh, and I think that's another reason that to me this was a story of this year is that we're seeing the the era of spend, spend, spend come to its depressing end. A very sudden, very dramatic conclusion. A mid-season twist, if you will. I hate it. Well, you know, that's a downer. But the year was not a year of downers. I mean, the news often was, but the year had so many highs, so many lows, so many amazing shows that we watched that I think it's time for us to celebrate the year in streaming by doing our first annual uh, streaming superlative spectacular.
I'm just, I'm so excited to go through all of these categories because uh, we've been going back and forth on them. We've been sharing notes. We've been saying, ooh, could we uh, add this category to make it that much more difficult for ourselves to decide? Because we're really going to try to avoid double dipping shows into multiple categories. We really want to talk about as many shows as possible. So we are going to dive in. And the best part is uh, we have not shared our lists with each other. So uh, as this goes, I, I would say, Diane, if you can convince me to change my answer on any of these categories, you may win this uh, non-competition that we are having right now. It's always a competition, Chris. That is correct. I am keeping score. Uh, <laughs> I'm keeping score in every episode. What is the score? How do you earn the points? Only I get to know that. Uh, but here, I, I will give you an, un- an undisputed win if you can change my answer on any of these categories. And I thought we should start with the biggest categories of the year, which uh, for me would be the best new series and the best returning series. And in order to answer these two categories specifically, I have to ask our first rules question. We, we literally made it zero answers before I have to stop and ask us to adjudicate the rules because Abbott Elementary aired exactly one episode in 2021. That's not a new series. It's season two came out. But All it's right. new in 2022. Every episode except the pilot aired in 2022. I think you could say that since we reviewed the first episodes in 2022. It's a bit of a stretch. So are, are you telling me that's your, your I'm, best I, That's new what I want to take for best new series because otherwise I have to take it for best returning series. So I can't proceed without knowing the answer to this. Ref, what is the answer? I think you can make it new series. Uh, yes. it, won, it won the Emmy this year, you know. I'm taking it. I am taking it. I, I figure 99% of Abbott Elementary viewers did not even know this show existed until 2022. So under that technicality, I will accept you. Thank you. What is your answer, though, for best new series? Uh, my favorite best new series. I, I really picked favorites and not best, of course. if I'm going to be honest. My favorite series of 2022 was the rehearsal on HBO Max. That would would have been my answer if you had made me bump Abbott Elementary. That is 100% right up there. Uh, oh, and, and truly, what a year where we're comparing Abbott Elementary, a return to form of classic network sitcoms, to the rehearsal, arguably one of the most experimental shows in the history of the medium. Yeah, just changing form completely. It, it, it defies all the rules. It really does. I ah, oh, perfect, perfect combination of answers. Uh, but that leaves me with this question, which is best returning series. I, I will uh, let you go first this time, Diane. I really struggled with this one because it was basically picking picking your favorite show, um, and I went with Barry. I did too. Oh wow! It, it was a really good season. I had some qualms, but it had some of the best writing, acting, and directing I saw on TV this year. Um, I thought it made some big leaps forward, and I just can't wait to see where it goes in the future. So um, 
For me, it was Barry. Same. Exact same thought process. I, 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 it was the first show that came to mind. And then I thought, okay, but I didn't, I, you know, I had some qualms with the season, like you said. And so I, I went through my head. I was like, what else was as good and unexpected and uh, evolved the show as much as Barry did? And, and the answer is nobody. It really is just a pitch perfect show. And this is also, just to go uh, behind the scenes for a second, uh, at the last minute, I had a scrap best comedy and best drama, largely because I wouldn't know where to put a show like Barry anymore. And part of why I, I would name it my best returning show of the year, my favorite returning show of the year, is exactly because it could have been both the best comedy and the best drama. I agree. And the only reason that I liked having those extra series was because I have so many shows and I was struggling <laughs> to pick just one for each category. But I think, you know, let's keep it challenging. That's right. That's right. This is a challenge to boil it down, to to reduce the year to a fine sap that is just mm, pure and sweet, like perhaps the sweet feeling you get at the end of a season or series, because our next category is best finale. And this could be a season finale or a series finale. And I, I had a lot of uh, thoughts here. I will tell you, I used this as my way to slot in the rehearsal because the, the season finale of the rehearsal was one of the most mesmerizing and unexpected episodes of television I've ever seen. I agree with you. That was really strong. I think that my uh, best finale is a show you haven't seen. And I went with um, the final season of Dairy Girls, which uh, for U.S. viewers is on Netflix. Uh, I just thought they really finished the show on their own terms. Great ensemble, amazing writing. One of those comedies that's so much more than its jokes, but also consistently lands laugh out loud funny jokes. Um, I just love that show, and it really s maintained its quality throughout. So, that, that you know, my... it, that is one of those shows that's been on my long list uh, for a long time. And so, to hear that it it nails the let's say the the finale is okay. I it will will I watch it tomorrow? No, the list is long, but this encourages me to keep it on the list. It stuck the landing. Oh, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. Uh, but let's talk about maybe something that didn't stick the landing, because our next category is a biggest disappointment or biggest letdown of the year. Uh, th this is open-ended. You could name a, a moment, a show, a scene, a character, or a personality in the, the streaming universe. Diane, what came to mind for you? Both a show and a franchise that are one and the same. So for me, Ooh. it was um, House of the Dragon, the new Game of Thrones show. Um, I, I think for me, it committed the five cardinal TV sins and that it was bad, offensive, expensive, boring, and pretentious. Ooh, shots fired, Diane. But I it's don't. Just not good. I don't disagree. Uh, I I went for a more specific uh, moment. Let's say uh, mm. my biggest letdown of the year is a show that I otherwise loved, but I was extremely let down by the season finale of The Bear on FX. Oh, I thought about that too. Yeah, because I didn't. I didn't love that finale, and the um, penultimate episode was quite good. Yeah, yeah, it was one where it was the exact opposite of sticking the landing to me. It, it was a show that was really going in a great direction, and then really fumbled the ball at the last minute to a point where, well, you know, I'll still absolutely watch the second season. I am concerned that the second season will be a different show, or that they'll just have to clean up this mess in the first couple episodes in order to get us back 
back to what I was uh, enjoying. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably see. To me, it was less disappointing in that I think I had lower expectations because it was brand new, um, and because the show never really worked for me. Whereas there were moments in the original Game of Thrones that did work for me that I thought really right. were good television, and this just. Whew. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's talk about something where it did feel like it was working for us, because our next category is Best Couple. And this is a real yearbook moment. And I, I can tell you, I already knew, as soon as you proposed this category, it has to be Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard on Our Flag Means Death. Okay, I'm glad you said that, because I had two answers, and one of them was that, so now I don't have to do that one. Perfect. My other one... Uh, is from A League of Their Own on Amazon Prime. And it's uh, Abby Jacobson as Carson Shaw and Darcy Carden as Greta Gill. Yeah. It's a really good couple. It really is. Ah, that's that's a high up there. But so many great couples on streaming and TV this, this year, to be honest. Like, a lot of couples I've rooted for across many different shows. And also a way larger proportion of LGBTQ couples uh, in shows that are not explicitly about those themes. Which, again, is just great to see in the representation front. Absolutely. Yeah. Really exciting. Uh, okay. So that takes us to a category... Uh, that is, again, very open-ended. I'm really curious how you answered this. Uh, most likely to succeed. Because I went through some answers where I, I thought of a show, and then I thought of a person. W- what came to mind for you, Diane? Yeah, so I chose a, a season of a show. I think that the most likely to succeed will be the finale of Stranger Things coming out next year. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're going to break streaming records. I think that's a safe call. I So, I, okay, that is not the d- direction I went. I first thought about what show do I want to succeed the most. Uh, and that mm. would be, I, wa- I, I love that for you. I want to love, I love that for you. I want that for them. Wow. I love that for you on Showtime. I, 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 I'm not confident it's going to succeed, which is why I want to answer that so badly. But if I had to say most likely to succeed, actually likely to succeed at something, my answer very specifically is Daphne on season two of The White Lotus, because I think she is up to something and she could succeed at whatever she does. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, no, I I love her. I love her too, and I think she's nefarious. I think there's twists abound, and we will discuss those uh, in a future episode as soon as the White Lotus Season 2 wraps, because we are ready. We are ready, people. Oh, I can't wait. You know what else I can't wait for? I can't wait to talk about this category, because it's best hair and or best dressed. You know, I'm going to pitch this one to you first. Who did you think of? as either best hair or best dressed, because again, I went a lot of directions here. So for me, I chose an ensemble for this one, and this is where I wanted to recognize Abbott Elementary. Mm. And one of the things I love so much about this ensemble is that they feel like real people. Um, I know that for a lot of the costumes for this show, they actually source stuff from like, like Target uh, for... Um, Quinta Brunson's character, um, who they make fun of for not being well-dressed. They just felt like real teachers um, and like real people, you know. And then also, you know, um, Janelle James is just so, so, so much fun on that show and always looks fabulous. So that, for me, was my my best dressed. 
Okay, okay, I like that choice a lot. I I thought about an ensemble, then I thought about production design for a minute, uh, and then mm-hmm. I came back around to a show that um, I love, but was a bit earlier in the year, and it's kind of faded from the immediate consciousness, but Minx on HBO Max, which in some ways... Fun absolutely delightful costumes, absolutely delightful production design, and also best pubic hair. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So it checks all the boxes. <laughs> it was undisputed. Okay, but now we're going to enter a section where there could be some disputing, because uh, I want to talk a bit about franchises, because there has been so much uh, franchise action. Marvel, Disney, we talk about all these franchises a lot on this show. And so I have two categories here, starting first with best franchise series of the year. And this is one where I suspect we might be in agreement. Uh, So I'm going to just go for it and say Andor. Andor. Yep. That's the best franchise series of the year, which I will say I I wanted to give it best uh, hair and best dressed because the costumes, especially on Coruscant, space ties and bureaucratic like garb that you've never seen in the Star Wars universe. Really, really great production design on that show. But obviously it needs to win best franchise series. It's I don't think there's anything else really in contention here. No, which leads me to, I think, the more interesting category this year, which is, like, most successful, best overall franchise of the year. Because while Andor was, to me, an undisputed high point, uh, Obi-Wan and Boba Fett were not. And and the overall Mar- uh, Star Wars franchise year that was was really lumpy. Yeah, I'd say overall Star Wars as a franchise is kind of floundering. So to me, that would not be my best franchise of the year. So what did you say for best franchise of the year? I chose The Lord of the Rings. Wow. I really enjoyed the first season of The Rings of Power much more than I thought that I would. And I think it's setting itself up in a good position to have a really strong season two and build on its audience. And that I would say I agree with that that the groundwork has been laid and I am you know enthusiastic to see more of it. It's so funny to me. I don't have a lot of affinity for that franchise, but I know going in neither did you. No, I didn't. And so also maybe that put me in a good place to be like pleasantly surprised by it. And some of the other franchises that I did have good feelings about going in, I was so disappointed by that this was one where like a newcomer could really kind of sweep in for me. So that, yeah. Wow, wow. Okay, I am, I am ready to tell you my answer, and I am ready for you to debate me on the, the validity of this answer. But I am going to say my franchise of the year is the Knives Out franchise. Oh, yeah, that's a franchise for sure. I was so um, ready for an argument, and you're like, sure, why not? You do you. No, Knives Out is absolutely a franchise. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, we have both seen Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, uh, because it had its short run in theaters. And we are going to review it and and give our thoughts about this uh, theater streaming hybrid strategy the week it comes out. It's premiering on Netflix on December 23rd. Right now, you literally can't see it. So sorry. Too bad. Uh, But we are going to tell you all about it in an upcoming episode. Uh, So all I'll say here is, yeah, for me, that nailed it on the franchise front. And I think... Netflix uh, is uh, somebody at Netflix is very happy about the money they just spent on that because they spent a ton of money uh, just on the success of the original Knives Out to create a franchise and we've talked before about how hard it is to invent a franchise and I think they nailed it this time I think that 
they have a great sequel on their hands. And again, we'll talk more about that when it comes to review time. But at the same time, I don't know that there's like great room for growth with this franchise. Mm. How many more times is Daniel Craig going to want to play Benoit Blanc? I don't know. Like, I don't. Is this formula going to get tired? Maybe they find a way to spin it into TV instead of just like a series instead of just films. But uh, I'm not sure about growth on this one. Ooh, ooh, this is such a good teaser for our upcoming episode where we discuss this in depth. So get excited because I think I think they have a hit on their hands. But I also well, think it's a hit. Oh, it's definitely I, a hit. Oh, yeah. The, the movie is. But the franchise, I, I honestly think and I am typically bearish on uh, Netflix's attempts to invent new franchises. But this one, I think because it's a movie series and not a, a, a TV, so to speak, series actually might work. But again, that's for a future episode for us to litigate in full because we, we do have a couple of categories left here. Uh, and the next one, most improved series or best glow up. Uh, this one I struggled with, so I'm going to give it to you first, Diane. Okay. Uh, for me, this was The Boys on Amazon Prime. I had enjoyed previous seasons of this show, but this newest season for me was almost appointment television it just was so much fun to watch and also so cringe inducing um yeah i i I don't know i just really got so into it and i was dying to see what would happen next uh congratulations diane you succeeded in getting me to take one of your answers that is a fantastic choice it did not even cross my mind and as soon as the words came out of your mouth i knew that was it uh but i will share what i came up with as a plan b was the worst glow up of the year the the least uh impressive growth of a series and that i think undeniably is the return of the original law and order which not just fell into the tropes of (laughs) truly not just uh highlighted all the reasons the show was canceled in the first place but doubled down on them in in a way that as somebody who loves that kind of background mystery television that you can eat like popcorn i can't even sit through those episodes no yeah that that was that was sad that was sad but you know what'll cheer you up talking about the life of the party because our our next category as we wrap things up is the life of the party category and again this one so many possibilities diane where did your mind go So for me, I ended up going with a Netflix series, the cast of Netflix's Never Have I Ever, a show that does have many parties. The show is so charming and sweet, and um, it's got a great young ensemble, really diverse. They're all fantastic. I can see them all having huge careers, uh, and it's just so much fun to watch. Wow. Okay. You know, you're naming more shows than I even remembered I have seen. And uh, this time, though, I am going to go with my gut. Uh, Life of the Party makes me think about a show that is just nothing but kind of champagne to me. Not to Mm -hmm. say it's highbrow, but to say that it's, it's bubbly and effervescent and fun. And for me, the show that defined that feeling the most this year is Ghosts. Ghosts is so fun. I think Ghosts is a great choice. I love Ghosts. Both Ghosts. U.S. Ghosts, U.K. Ghosts. I have become a full-time Ghosts aficionado. And I am even slow-rolling season four of the U.K. Ghosts because there's only uh, like six episodes in a U.K. season. And each one is so delicious. I don't want to binge them. I want to eat them like individual candies out of the tray, one at a time. Savor them. Yeah, that's another show that I think is going to have a really great next season 
Yeah, and I am enjoying the CBS season currently in progress as well. We might revisit that later because they are introducing some new characters, it sounds like. I've been reading the headlines. I'm very excited for where they go next. Uh, but, but that gets us to perhaps our final category, most satisfying redemption arc. And this, again, could be any kind of redemption, a show, a character, uh, an event in the streaming world. Uh, Diane, what, what felt like an opening of forgiveness and redemption to you? I really struggled with this one, to be honest, because so many of the characters that I like on TV shows are becoming worse and worse people every season. And it doesn't make me want to watch them less, but, uh, you know, it, it, definitely no redemption arc in sight and same with if i were to look at like say the streaming news i feel like like chris licked chris mccarthy i don't have good good warm feelings for these people right now so uh for me um while i hope next year we'll be able to say it was bob Iger, for me this year i'm going to say dr alan strauss on the patient you know that came to mind for me too And then I thought, ooh, but would my my answer actually be the serial killer on the patient? Because in a way, he has an interesting redemption arc when he decides to... That's a spoiler, I won't say it. Instead, I'll just say, well, the serial killer has a a kind of redemption arc, too. Kind of. I think that uh, Alan's character really gets more complex and interesting, and he learns uh, to have a lot of empathy for um, the people in his life over the course of the season. And uh, that was just a gorgeous performance by Steve Carell. I I do agree. I do agree. Uh, I I, I play devil's advocate there. Uh, But that's why I couldn't Mm -hmm. decide on that one, because the voice in the back of my head thought, but you know, you could make an argument in the other direction. So I I landed on, admittedly, just trying to find a space for one more show that I, I, I felt like compelled to include in this list somewhere. And so for me, the answer has to be Hacks. Yes, I love that. Show. I can't believe I forgot half. Right? Did you, if you we forgot. had kept best comedy mm-hmm. in, I would maybe have had to say Axe. Ooh, that's oh, Ooh, right, right. Flying under the radar there. It was months ago, months ago. But Ava's uh, essentially a redemption arc as she tries to get forgiveness for betraying Deborah Vance. Uh, that is for me one of the most satisfying uh, season-long storylines of the year. Yeah, great choice. So many great choices, though. You could say it was a great perhaps spectacular year in streaming. Can we say I never choose what we do in the shadows for lists like this? We've never reviewed it on this show. It's so good. It could have been like half of these categories. That's actually just a, a, shouting a it out. really great call out. Uh, such a fantastic show. I loved the most recent season. And while it may not be my favorite season, what I love about that show is each season, uh, it really commits to something new. It reminds me in some ways of a lot of the best seasons of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That in mm-hmm. order to keep the show fresh and funny, they make big swings. And I really enjoy that. This past season's big swing was with Colin Robinson, most notable. Notably, and and I I love what they did with it. Me too. Me too. Great ah, stuff. 
any other shows that we we just couldn't find a space for? Because there are just so many on my list of favorites this year. Uh, I would make a big shout out to my favorite animated show, which is Star Trek Lower Decks on Paramount+. Plus. You do need to be a little bit of a Star Trek uh, fan to really get the most out of it. But at the same time, it is a warm and sweet send-up of a beloved franchise. And if I uh, liked what they were doing with the rest of the Star Trek franchise nearly as much, it would have been a compelling argument to put Star Trek on Franchise of the Year. But no, no, it's just the bright spot is Lower Decks. <laughs> that is, that's a good bright spot. I did, by the end of the season of Reboot, I have a great affection for that show. I am uh, hoping that'll come back for a great season two. You know, I'm glad you brought Reboot up. I just texted you about that the other night because I'm finally finishing the season. And, you know, we were pretty uh, critical. And I think critical in a good way. Critical in in a truly investigative way. Asking questions about the show and about what kind of show it wanted to be and what it was trying to say. And then uh, a few episodes in beyond that, as we're, it's not a long season. So somewhere around episode six, I texted you and I was like, you know, a lot of those things that I said I really cared about in the pilot and the second episode and the third episode i don't care about them at all anymore i'm just really enjoying myself yeah that to me that's another effervescent champagne kind of show yeah yeah uh with such a great cast that really seals the deal there because i think in order to have one of those those experiences those effervescent shows you have to have a cast that uh really elevates what otherwise might be simple content or cliched or uh, tried and true, let's say, because I don't want to be pejorative. I'm not saying like, oh, it's such a cliched show or these storylines are so, you know, (laughs) reused. Uh, No, what I mean is in order to have that kind of show, you often work with really simple building blocks and then you get incredible talent to bring it to life in a new and exciting way because that's part of what makes it so effervescent is you sort of know the story. You sort of know the beat. And so what you're riding along is the experience. Yeah, one man's cliche is another man's classic. Oh, so well said. And such a great sentiment as we head into yet another year of streaming, television, movies, and more. And so we will continue to cover all of that. And we're not going away from your feeds anytime soon. As we mentioned, we still have to review season two of White Lotus. As soon as it wraps, we will be on the microphones covering our murder bracket to find out who wins that competition. I give you this one, Diane, but I am still in the running for White Lotus murder bracket. We'll see. And then we'll be back to review Glass Onion. So much to come, so stay tuned and write to us, podcast at streamageddon.com. But until then, do what you always need to do. Keep streaming. And also, best pubic hair.